Okay, if you would please, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. I will be reading Galatians chapter 3, verses 25 through 29. Galatians 3, 25 through 29. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Blessed is the reading of God's holy inspired Word to our souls. Father, thank You for Your Word. And I thank You for Your Spirit. May He be working in me with the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching. And may You work amongst us with the gift of seeing and the gift of hearing and the gift of repentance and the gift of faith, and the gift of worship to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a line drawn in the sand of the world. And actually, there's the same line drawn in the sand of the church in the world. On one side of the line are those who belong to Jesus and they are inheritors with Abraham of eternal life, of justification. On the other side of the line are those who have not come alive to a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus in reliance upon Christ alone. And this reality beckons that everyone in the world and sitting in ten thousands of churches this morning throughout the world, that everyone examine, test themselves to see if they are in the faith. To see which side of the line they live in. And here is the test from our passage this morning. Do you love God's law? Or to say it this way, do God's moral commands, moral laws, constantly feel like an external burden to you? Are God's commandments a pedagogos to you? Because you have no heart to trust and rely on Him for happiness and for direction. Or, Are you a person who's very much in touch with your inborn, embedded sinful desires that are against God's law? You know yourself that way. But nevertheless, there is a freedom. There is a joy. There is a desire to follow Him because you know Christ has set you free from eternal condemnation, from hell, and that the Holy Spirit is daily working in you. Which side of the line are you on? We'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. If you're looking at your text there in Galatians 3, We're picking up where we left off in verses 25 through 29. But, 
Again, context, context, context. You have to note now, what we see this morning, verses 25 to 29, they are Paul's conclusion that he is drawing out of what he has just said in verses 19 to 24. Which, in a nutshell, you can go back and listen to the sermons if you haven't heard them both, but I'm just going to briefly summarize it in less than a minute. In 19 to 24, Paul is saying that God was doing a strange work of imprisoning Israel under sin from Moses to Christ. In other words, he has said that the law to them became, here's the Greek word in question, a pedagogos. This constraining guardian locking them up in their sin until the Christ event. Now, in verse 25, Paul says, here's the next stage of redemptive history. Moses to Christ... The law became a pot of gogos to Israel. Christ comes, and here's the next stage, verse 25. But now, that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, a pedagogos. For Paul here, faith coming is simultaneous with Christ's coming, living, dying, and rising. And when he says now that faith has come, Paul does not mean no one in history up to this point ever had faith or was ever saved or justified by their faith. That's not what he means. Abel had faith. Noah had faith. Abraham had faith. Moses, Caleb, Joshua, David, Jeremiah. They had faith. Elizabeth had faith. So he's not saying no one was ever born again or saved before by their faith. But what he is saying is in the large picture of redemptive history, comparatively from before the Christ event, God's grace is poured out by the Holy Spirit now since Christ and now it's causing not a few like a few within Israel but many and especially Gentiles many to respond to God's Word with a heart of faith that it's happening since Christ this is the outpouring of the Spirit that Joel prophesied about. It's happening in Christ in an unprecedented way with the clarity of how God is saving Abraham and Abel through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. You see, from Moses to Christ, when the law of Moses was preached, only a small remnant came to faith and believed. And we have numbers of examples of them. Just read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. The hall of faith. All under the law. Well, Abraham's before the law. Okay, But most of them under the law. And they were saved by their faith. That's what happened during the time of the law from Moses to Christ. They believed and it was evidenced by their love for God and His mercy and thus seen in their way of life, their repentance and their walk. But since Christ, when the good news about the Messiah having come and lived and died for sins and being raised from the dead is now preached, many, 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 many more people percentage-wise are being saved. Coming to faith, both Jew and Gentile. And let me make it clear one more time that the reason that 
more come to faith since the clarity of Jesus, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is not because under the law it said, oh, go do these works and then that will be your ticket into salvation or heaven. And the Gospel comes and says, oh, that's done with. It's all new now. Just believe. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Both the law under Moses, and the Gospel of Jesus Christ offers salvation freely to those who are of faith. And in Moses, in the law, and all over the New Testament, both of them describe the evidence of that saving faith as the fruit of obedience. Now, remember... What we have seen that Paul has already said here in Galatians, that the reason during that period of Moses to Christ, the reason the law mainly chained up, not freedom, locked up the people of Israel in their sin, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and then in the message of Jesus, it is producing faith and freedom that the core reason is that in the preaching of Jesus, it is accompanied by the powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit causing people to come spiritually alive to God. That is, come to faith. Or say it differently. It's with the preaching, the Holy Spirit has been poured out and causing in an unprecedented way hard hearts to come to softness toward God as their treasure through Jesus Christ. Does it make any sense? So Paul says in verse 25, faith has come. That's a historical redemptive sentence. Faith has come. God, he's saying, is fulfilling the promised new covenant that Jeremiah foretold, that Ezekiel foretold. I will in those days pour out My Spirit. I will cause your rock hard hearts to become hearts of flesh. I will write My law on your hearts and cause you to obey Me and to walk in My commandments. And it's being fulfilled. Faith has come. you got to get this. If God were not accompanying the preaching of salvation through the historical figure of Jesus Christ, if He were not accompanying that preaching with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit causing new birth in many who hear it, well then, the preaching of the Gospel itself would be imprisoning people in their own sin. Locking them up to judgment. Actually, it does do that to some. And Paul preaches that way. That's why he says, I'm done with you. I'm wiping the dust off my feet. Isaiah prophesied about you correctly. When people reject it. Why? They reject it when they are not coming alive to faith in it. And actually, 2,000 years of church history has demonstrated this. That when Christianity takes hold and starts to mold cultures, and then down the road, slowly the clarity of the Gospel is getting more and more lost, not being preached just as simply and as clearly as it's given, what you end up having is the shell of religions that's there, organizations are there, and then churches more and more filled with unregenerated, non-saved members. 
And in the guise of Christianity, just like under the law, it's a pedagogos to them. It's locking them up in their sin. And then in the name of Christianity, as opposed to the name of Judaism of the first century, in the name of Christianity, the same kind of legalism is produced. Because the, the deciding factor is faith being poured out by the sovereign, powerful work of God the Holy Spirit in hearing. This is why, don't miss the larger context of Galatians. People will do that in this church. Become a legalist. People will do it in all churches. We are susceptible to pride and arrogance of legalism and missing the truth of the Gospel and to humble ourselves. But, what's going on in Galatians, that's one thing. These professing Christians are proclaiming legalism. And that's why Paul is so angry. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting God for a different gospel. Oh, they preach Jesus. It's in the guise of Christianity. Which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and they are distorting the gospel of Christ. Say, you got to have the right distinctives about you like we natural Jews have starting with circumcision in your kosher diet. And other things that Moses said, if you don't go on and do that, you cannot be saved. This is why he's so angry at legalism. Now in verse 25, he proclaims, faith has come. After what? After explaining, you want to know why these guys are preaching legalism? I'll tell you why God gave the law. He gave the law in order to imprison Israel in their legalism. He gave the law in order to demonstrate the extent of sin. That's what these people are preaching to you in the name of Jesus. I get that over, Lindsay? Is it clear? Faith has come. And therefore what, Paul? Therefore, we Jews are no longer under a Pythagogos. Paul and Peter and saved Jews. No. Faith has come. We are no longer under the prison guard. The law fomenting our sinfulness through religiosity and legalism. By implication, this means, not just for Paul and Peter and Jews coming to Christ in the first century, by implication, this means for everyone who has been born again unto faith. Has faith come to you? For everyone, where faith has come, faith in Jesus, that means we are no longer being oppressed by God's demands as people who have no heart to fulfill them. Should I say that again? Faith has come. You're no longer under the burdensomeness of a controlling pedagogos. God's moral laws about your sexual activity in murder, in stealing, in worship Him, in flee from idolatry. Those moral laws are no longer some exterior pedagogos. It is a burden to you because deep down you hate that No! Faith has come. Faith has come. Something's different. A 
about you that is therefore finding because of Christ and having been saved, finding the fulfillment in measure of those moral laws happening in you. Why, Paul? Because faith has come. You're no longer under God's commands is merely letter of the law written on a page. But as the New Covenant says, He wrote them on your heart. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, another analogy. Do you see what's happened since faith has come? As you look at the law of Moses, the veil over your eyes of your heart towards God, the God of the law. The veil has been removed so that you can joyfully read Moses now as intended. And that's the life of Christianity. That's the life of faith. As those who have been saved, as those who have been justified by the work of Christ alone. Through faith in Christ alone. Faith has come. Then, look at your text. In verses 26 and 28, He confirms what He just said in verse 25. So get the flow. The period of the burdensomeness of the Pythagogos of the law has ended because faith has come to you Galatians. And to many of us Jews, faith has been poured out through the preaching of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then He goes on to verse 26. For unfolding For in Christ Jesus, Galatians, you're Gentiles. These guys are trying to tell you to be, you've got to go all the way and become Jewish in order to ultimately be saved along with believing in Jesus. No, Galatian, Gentile Christians, in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God. Through. And how are they sons of God through faith? He explains it in verses 27 and 28. For, here's his explanation, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you see it? You put on Christ. Let me stop for a second. God, don't forget from the beginning of Galatians to the end. Galatians. Baptism. And what it signifies. Baptism. Not circumcision. This is what he's saying. As many... If it's you who were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Don't you get it? There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither slave nor free man. There is being in Christ and being saved by Him, circumcision, only half of humanity can get that. But in Christ there's neither male nor female because you are all one in Christ. These Judaizers who are preaching distinctions, that's great. We finally acquiesced. Non-Jews can get saved in Jesus. But you can't remain non-Jewish because we're special. We have the badges of specialness. 
How dare anyone proclaim like Paul, you can make it to God's good graces forever and eternity if you don't have what we deem so precious. And in its thousand and three different forms over the last 2,000 years, that's the core of legalism. Did I ever finish? I did finish. Okay, so you see that. For as many of you as were baptized. We're going to pause here. Paul is saying, not circumcision, but baptism. Water baptism is the only sign of salvation in the New Covenant. Just as physical circumcision was the valid sign if it pointed to a spiritual circumcision of the heart in the Old Covenant. That's what he's saying. And the same is true now with baptism. Baptism is a valid sign This outward representation. It's valid. If it's pointing to something true in the person being baptized, being killed with Christ and rising from the dead to new life in Christ. In other words, one way Paul said it in the context of Galatians 3 was right there in verse 21, if the law had been given which could Give life. That's the spiritual life. Or, verse 25. There's another way to say this new life. Faith has come. It's new life. And Paul writes in Romans 4.11 about Abraham, our father. Father of our faith. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal, a testimony, seal of the righteousness or justification that he already had by faith. Faith, being justified, was prior to the stamp the outward stamp of what happened inside of Abraham of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still not baptized. Um, still not circumcised. And then he got circumcised. Alright, what I'm going to do, I want to try and see if we can see the larger forest of a biblical theology instead of merely just the trees. Okay, so, and if you've been paying close attention, and if you're not here, you've listened to last week's sermon and the sermon before. If not, you can go back and do that because I can't repeat them. But what has been going on through Paul here? God used... Israel from Moses to the coming of Christ in order to write a lesson book for all the world, for all the nations in the preaching of the Gospel. And in that lesson book, the Hebrew Scriptures, the history of Israel, the law, the prophets, etc. There are lessons of faith, true believers... And then it's filled with horrific lessons of no faith, unbelief, spurning God and God's judgment and God's judgment and God's purpose to write the lesson book for the nations. Because there's lessons of this is how people who are not born again respond to God. So that we who are church people, As we saw last week, Paul write very clearly, 
look at the book and don't be like them. Okay. And so in doing that historically, he gave some special separating laws only to Abraham's children. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve sons of Jacob and their progeny called Israel. He gave them their own special laws. He didn't give to the rest of the world in order to separate them off in their own religion and in their own culture in order to write the lesson book. And circumcision was the sign of the covenant, the old covenant that He had with His people Israel. It was the main sign and that circumcision is the main issue in the book of Galatians that Paul is fighting. Along with the issues of the other separating laws like kosher diet, New moons, festivals, Sabbath keeping given to God's people. So, think about it now. The sign of the covenant, the old covenant, people of Israel, that sign was given to babies. Unless you were a convert. Baby boys on the eighth day of their life. They were to be circumcised as the sign of the covenant of God's people, Israel. Most of them, the majority of them, who had that outward sign, never were circumcised in the heart. Some were. Most of them were never born again. Most of them never came to saving faith. And thus, in God's redemptive historical plan, and you can read this in the prophets, circumcision, and you can read it in Paul in Romans 2, circumcision came to represent just that. An uncircumcised, rebellious heart. If those who aren't Jews and have no circumcision do what the law requires, then their uncircumcision has become circumcision. But you who are circumcised in the flesh but don't do what God says, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. For circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit. Right? Okay. And so having said that, through most of church history and in today, today right now, there are many evangelical Christians, evangelical Lutherans, evangelical Episcopalians, evangelical Presbyterians, Reformed Church of this or of that, who practice infant baptism. Saying, the Old Covenant sign was circumcision. The new covenant sign is water baptism. And so, we baptize kids born into new covenant families. I don't buy it. Why? Just because I don't buy it? I don't buy it because new covenant baptism, water baptism, bringing people within the community of Christ on this world into the church is not an exact parallel to Old Covenant circumcision. What I want you to do, I want you to turn, we're going to spend a few minutes in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 11, where I'll read verses 11 to 13. Ponder, get your minds working and think through what Paul is writing here. In Him, he's writing mainly to Gentile church here in Colossae. In Him, Christ, in Him 
also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What I mean is this. By the putting off of the body of flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. Watch this connection. In other words, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Okay. Now, in verse 13, He says, you, and it's like us in here who are born again, you were dead. You were spiritually dead to God. You were not justified. You were not born again. You were dead. But then something happened. Verse 13, God made you alive. That's new birth. Okay? Now, when he says that in verse 13, in the context, he is explaining what he just said in verses 11 and 12. So look at 11 again. This new life, spiritual life, new birth. Verse 11 now. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Paul compares the miracle of new birth with circumcision. He says it's like circumcision. But not exactly like circumcision. Because this one is made without hands. Without physical, human hands. It's a spiritual cutting. Not a physical cutting. And what is cut away here is not foreskin. But he says what's cut away. See it? The body of Sark's flesh. There's a cutting by the Spirit that happens to those who are being saved that brings them to Christ. What is it? The, the cutting away of the body of flesh. Our, in other words, sin-controlled nature it's cut away. That is our hard heart toward God is cut away by the circumcision of Christ. That's okay, gotta fall upon that watch. Because he goes on now to link that with baptism. So let's read verses eleven and twelve again slowly. In Him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been then what? Under the water, buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, the point is, you cannot get infant baptism from this as a direct parallel to Old Covenant physical circumcision. Because the sort of circumcision right here that Paul was referring to and he links the outward sign of it, baptism, is a spiritual circumcision. That means Paul's talking about 
a spiritual counterpart. It's happening with believers in Christ. He's talking about the spiritual counterpart to the Old Covenant physical circumcision is spiritual circumcision. And then he links that to water baptism. He links spiritual circumcision. He links new birth evidenced by faith to water baptism. Just Read it carefully. In this passage, what is the New Testament parallel to the Old Covenant ritual of circumcision of boys? The answer, it's not water baptism. It's the New Covenant miracle of circumcision of the heart. The old, dead, foreskin, nature of sin dying with Christ and rising with Christ. It's being cut away. And then, for the fourth time, Baptism, water baptism, is brought in as the physical, external expression of that spiritual reality in the person. Christ does a circumcision without physical hands. That's the new covenant fulfillment of the old covenant rite of circumcision in the flesh. Then in verse 12, he draws the parallel between the spiritual fulfillment and water baptism. Verse 11, stresses circumcision without hands, but water baptism is with hands. So if a person says, and many true believers do, If we say, in other words, New Testament baptism with hands, that's what we do, we use physical hands to do it, corresponds to Old Covenant circumcision with hands, then we totally miss Paul's point. The point that faith has come. Faith is being poured out by God without physical hands. It's a work He's doing in the heart. And that's how God, in the New Covenant, is creating a people for Himself by the spiritual miracle without hands done upon the heart. He created His people with physical hands in the Old Covenant. Born of you, the one of yours, seal it. even though many perish in their sin. In the New Covenant, no one will perish in their sin if you're in the New Covenant. All will know Me. You don't have to say to those in the New Covenant, come on, know the Lord. No, because by definition, they have been circumcised in the heart. And they know very intimately the Lord. Now, hopefully we can hear Paul clearly now. Back to his context, writing this letter to the Galatian Christians up against the teaching of the other professing Jewish Christians, the Judaizers. He's saying essentially, Oh dear Galatians, Don't you dare listen to these Judaizers and go ahead and get the external sign of circumcision. It's part of those external, cultural, physical laws that with the coming of Christ have fallen away. 
There's a new sign, Galatians. There's the new sign of the new covenant because these covenant people are being created in a new way. By spiritual birth, not by physical birth. And that's why we don't baptize babies of Christian parents. And that's Paul's point, I think, as he goes on in verses 27 to 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Get rid of these distinctions of kosher diet and circumcision. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There is neither rich nor poor. There is neither... Go on and on. No, 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 no. For you all, if you come to faith in Christ, you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you, apart and without circumcision, are Abraham's offspring and heirs of eternal life. Heirs according to promise. There are no distinctives that any person from their upbringing, their parentage, their religion can bring into the equation that makes them worthy of forgiveness, justification, future eternal resurrection into the enjoyment of God, final salvation. Nothing. There are no material badges in which to boast. Jew or Gentile, females as well as males. Circumcision by God Himself, by the Spirit, in the heart, is the only thing based upon nothing. Evidenced by you love Christ now. And so you go under the water and you come back up. What a glorious moment. So as I began the sermon, there's a line in the sand of the world and there's a line in the sand of every church and every one of you needs to be on the right side of that line the side of being baptized into Christ because it signifies that you've been circumcised of the heart What does it mean? Let me just give you one of Paul's meanings of that from Galatians. This is how I think Paul, one of the ways he will say, I'll tell you what it means, Galatians 2.20. This is how you know. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, still same body, in the same home, still have sin in... Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I. Something's different. Christ lives in me. And the life that I, that I now live, I'm living by trust, faith in the Son of God who... No, no, no. I don't mean Jesus died for sinners. No. Who gave Himself up for me. If that's you, and you haven't been baptized, 
baptized. So believer, you baptized believer, think about this text. For us, faith has come. What does it mean? It means what he says. Do not live your life as if God's will is a plight of go-gods to you. Some constraining burden upon your life. No, you're in Christ. We are no longer under the law trying to climb up into God's favor by doing some burdensome task. But we are alive instead to the law giver. We know we're free from the condemnation of the law. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And thus, the law is, based upon that, being worked out and fulfilled in our lives. That is, the lives of those who are in Christ, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those are the persons who have been circumcised without hands and the heart. Those are the sons and the daughters of God. The law of God is not like some prison guard pedagogos oppressing us as a horrible burden to do what we have no joy and no desire to do. Faith is come. I'm going to close. Just, you don't even think you have to turn a page if you're still in Galatians. With Galatians 5. I want you to look at what Paul will say. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to read more than I thought I was going to. But I just want you to feel now, Paul, and, and listen carefully. Oh, faith has come. We're not under the pedagogue. We're not under the prison guard. God's moral law is not purely and only burdensome as it was before circumcision. Now you love it. And though you have sin that says, I want to go the other way. If that's you, that's a sign you've been circumcised. And that's why you fight. Listen to Paul. But I say, Galatians, walk, that's daily walking, walk by the Spirit. Because if you do, you will not be gratifying the desires of your sinful nature. They're there. But you won't be following after them. You cannot do that at the same time, in the same moment, in the same way as you're walking by the Spirit. Now watch. For, he goes on, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit's work in you, and the desires of the Holy Spirit's work in you are against your flesh. For these, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you through circumcision of the heart and your remaining sinful desires, nature, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And I wonder if Paul meant that both ways. I want to sin! I know. And then you have victory because the Spirit causes your heart to say, but I don't want to. And you had victory. And other times, I want to walk by the Spirit and I find myself doing that which I don't want to do in that sense. Good sign. You're circumcised of the heart. Now watch verse 18. But if, but if, you are led by the Spirit. Here's the phrase. You are not under the law. Okay, what does he mean? Well, we'll get there. Watch this. Now, the works of the flesh, 
Here's the member of the battle. Here they are. They're evident. And, and he's only just going to give some examples. You can add a thousand more. The works of your sinful nature are evident. Sexual immorality. That is, any sexual play and touching and being with another human being with whom you are not married to who is the opposite sex. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not make it to heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why, Paul? Because if that's your lifestyle, and you don't turn from it, you're proving you've never been circumcised of the heart. You're proving to you, genuine saving faith has not come. The Spirit doesn't dwell within you. Now, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Now it's stunning. Listen to the next line. Against such things like that, there is no law. Okay, now watch him. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the pedagogus. You're not under the law as you're being led by the Spirit. And then he goes on the list. The works of the flesh. Which are essentially living a life in disobedience to God's moral law. And he says, on the other hand, this is what it looks like you walk by the Spirit. These good fruits are flowing. Oh, oh by the way, you're doing that? Here's the point. There's no moral law against living by the Spirit. I just hope you follow me. Did we, Lindsay? No? Okay, good. Alright. Here's the point. Faith has come. We're no longer under the pie to go, God's. God's moral law is not merely like it was before you were born again. Merely a burdensome exterior law. I guess I was not supposed to. But you're in a battle because there's a part of you, significant part of your heart, that loves His moral and hates your remaining sin. Oh, who should deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So if this is you, therefore, brothers, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Because this is what's happening according to Paul. The Holy Spirit is so transforms our lives as we are trusting His promises, that we are loving more and more what God loves and hating what God hates. There's no more paedagogos when you live by the Holy Spirit through faith because there is no law against such a way of life. Let's pray. But before I do, we will be passing out the elements to those of you who have sealed your spiritual circumcision with a sign of water baptism. And as we do, oh, we can rejoice because this whole thing, the forgiveness of our sins, the sanctification that is being led by the Spirit. And walking that way, there's no burden, there's no law that hangs over your head and condemns you whatsoever because the fruit of the Spirit is being born. And you're doing all of this as those who are clothed with Jesus' righteousness because Jesus on the cross with His body and blood purchased all of that. 
for you. Father, thank you for such a glorious salvation. I pray that you keep us in a spirit of attentiveness and worship and delight and joy as we gather around the table of your Son's body and his blood shed for the new covenant that we have experienced to the glory of his holy name. Amen.